the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. Welcome to the Instructor Podcast. This is a show where I help you become an even more awesome driving instructor. As always, I am your splendid host, Terry Cook. I'm delighted to be here and even more delighted that you have chosen to listen because we've got a very special episode for you today because... One of the taglines for this show that I've used over the years is that we talk about your health, self and wealth and we are definitely looking at that today because we are talking to James McAleer who is joining us to talk about his recent cancer diagnosis and subsequent recovery and how he's on the mend. He's got a very important message for all driving instructors as to basically how we need to be looking after ourselves and getting checked out. Now, I should just warn you, we do go into some topics quite a bit of detail. So if you are struggling with something at the minute or if you know of someone that's struggling, please don't feel obliged to listen to this episode. I'll fully understand if you choose not to. But it's a really important message for driving instructors. And if you can, I highly suggest you listen. Jimmy also tells us a little bit about how he's raising money for Macmillan Cancer Support over Christmas by shaving his head in December, on Christmas Eve, in fact. And if you hang about to the end of the show, I will go into a bit more detail as to how I am supporting that and how I am attempting to raise money for him as well. But for now... Let's get stuck into the episode. Today on the Instructor Podcast, I am joined by the the one and only James McClear. How are we doing, James? I'm having a good day today, Teddy. Thanks for asking. I feel good. How are you? I am not bad at all. Is that all on the uh, the back of the uh, Liverpool beating Fulham for free yesterday? What a game that was. That yes. was really funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. So... Yeah, and also Man City only getting a draw to get a, a Tottenham. That was good. That was good, and um, that was an interesting end to a game. So that's that all good. I had a good uh, weekend. Well, I was pretty, pretty unwell over the weekend, but I mean that was a little bit of a um, you know a silver lining. Let's put it that way. The football was good. Well, that that unwell thing is is kind of what we're here to talk about today because fairly recently you uh completely revamped your driving school the way you did lessons you completely restructured it and changed everything that you did essentially you know i don't think i'm over dramatizing it there and then just as that was kind of coming towards the end of the trial period it's kicking into gear you uh you got some rather unfortunate use and you were diagnosed with cancer uh, and that's what we've come to talk about today now i specifically wanted you to come on i've recorded a similar episode with Keith Woodward before, because I think it's important to talk about this stuff and get the message out there and, and also want to give you a platform to tell you your story. So the first question I want to ask you is, why did you want to come and do this podcast? Oh, um, well, I, to be honest, I think at first I didn't want to. And as uh, my recovery started to improve, I think one of the things about having you know a serious illness and one of the things that you can do to help yourself is, is and to help your own recovery is to help others. So what I, when, when you, you know we we spoke about doing the podcast, I thought this might be a, you know a, a good experience for me and, and beneficial for me by reaching out and speaking to other people who might have the same experience of um, coming to them, and um, you know you know. Having a, a cancer diagnosis it was like at first for me it was like having a death sentence, and it turned out it 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 wasn't a death sentence at all. Um, cancer uh, 
you know, the cancers that, that I had is a highly treatable, highly, highly curable disease, but only if it's got really early. So uh, what I want, I've, I've tried to, to get the message out during my recovery through through Facebook, social media, that sort of thing, to check for certain things. So when you asked me, you know, there was an opportunity to speak to other ADIs, I thought that was a good thing for me personally, that I could go out there because I think ADIs may be uh, particularly vulnerable for, uh, let's say, neglecting the health or neglecting the subtle uh, symptoms that bowel cancer in particular present and how you can go through your life being far too busy to be sick and far too busy to take those symptoms seriously. And if it, to be honest with you, if, if it wasn't for the women in my life, i.e. my wife, two daughters, some of the women friends that I've got, I'd have probably delayed going to my GP even longer. And that's interesting in as much because no, none of my male friends said, you need to get that checked out. All the women, it seemed to be all the women nagging me, nagging me, nagging me. And I was going, no, no, it's just, it, it's not. If, if it was serious, I'd be feeling really ill. And the point is, is that when you're in the early stages of cancer, you're not feeling really ill. You might have some subtle symptoms. And if you can pick up on those symptoms and get those checked out, and hopefully, you know, it turns out to be something innocuous, and if it is something as nasty as cancer, it, it's, you know, your outlook is far, far better if you, um, if, if you start the treatments early. And, and that's what happened to me. And I got incredibly lucky with cancer. And again, I'm just going to touch on this one more time because thinking back to the record I did with Woody a couple of years ago, that was the thing he was saying as well, you know, get this checked out. You know, even the doctors that would rather you went and found it was nothing then then put it off and put it off and i agree with you that as, as blokes in particular we're atrocious for this stuff you know i'm I'm same as you where i've gone to like my at the time wife or my mum or whatever and i've been saying oh i've had this and i've had this and i've had this have you checked it out no why would i get it checked out you know i'm i'm, I'm managing okay but i think we as Driving instructors are really bad for this stuff. You mentioned it then. I think too, you're too busy to be poor. You're too busy to get checked out. And mm-hmm. so I want to go back to to the beginning, if you like. Tell me a little bit about your story. Tell me what happened and 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 where it, where it went essentially. What with the cancer diagnosis? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what happened with me is I started getting subtle symptoms. So my symptoms were um, I was using the toilet more often. So I go on the toilet more often, and I, I just thought that was me because I've always have done. But it creeps up on you, so it's going to the toilet like four times a day, and then you know, a couple of weeks later, it was six times a day, eight times a day, ten times a day, and um, when um, um, there was blood in, in my poop, you know, on the toilet tissue. I know it's not a very nice subject, but a little bit of blood. Only so you, you dismiss that you think, oh, I've probably got hemorrhoids. Files, probably just got a little bit of a tear there, something. It's not right. It can't be anything because it can't be anything because I don't feel ill. So you're sort of ignoring it. And as it happens, uh, one of my daughters is, is a nurse and a GP. So I, I, I phoned her first and I said, What do you think? And she said, Make a GP appointment right now, right now, and follow me back. And 
because she knew, she she knows she knows me. I probably wouldn't. She phoned me back and tell me when that appointment is to make sure. I want to know you've made that appointment. That is not normal to have blood in your poo and changing your and your bowel habits. So I did. So I went went to the GP and um, just give me this this test. Um, so you get this this test. It looks like they give you this pack. It's, it looks like a highlighter pen in an envelope. So you take the highlighter pen home. Um, you, you, um, you you take the top off the off the pen, and it's got like a little spatula. You put a tiniest bit of poo on you on this spatula, and you stick it back all together in an envelope, in, in a in a bag, in an envelope. Goes back to the GP, and hopefully it comes back with you know clear. What happened with me is about a week later, the uh, GP phoned me and said, um, "You need to come. Uh, you need to go for a colonoscopy. You've got blood in your poo quite a bit." Even though it's not visible, you know, it's not visible, so you wouldn't know. I said, oh, okay. I didn't even know what a colonoscopy was. That, but It's a camera, if you back passage, flexible camera. Now, if you have to go for one of these, um, it, it's, not a, an, an, it, it's, not, it's not like a painful experience. Go, went to the hospital, and then you lie it on a trolley, go in. Uh, they even tilt the camera around, the, the TV rounds to the bed, so you can see. I find it fascinating. You know, they sedate you, so you're not in any pain or anything like that. You feel like you've had a few beers or something. And anyway, they insert this sort of flexible tube, and that goes around into you. And I'm just looking at the screen, thinking, isn't this wonderful? I'm looking at the inside of my own body. And it all looks very nice, nice nice pink tubes. And I'm looking at this camera going down. Oh, this is fantastic. This is like the first time in my life I've seen the inside of my own body. And then... Out of the darkness come this little, um, what I can only exp- uh, describe it as a growth. And this growth, it, I could describe it as, um, it didn't disturb me when I was looking at it, even though I knew there was something not quite right here. It looked like a um, coral, you know, in the sea. Like uh, If you're watching like a nature program, like um, one of those earth programs that David Attenborough does, it's like coral, like waving. It wasn't a horrible thing. It actually looked like a beautiful thing, just just blah. And I thought, well, that looks different from the rest. So I said, what's that? And he, I just heard the voice behind me, and that's the consultant. He said, I'll tell you when we're finished. And even then, under the sedation, I knew something, something's wrong here. But it, it never occurred to me that it might be cancer. Anyway, cut a long story short, you take it out. You recover from the sedation. And then he took me into a room. And in that room, my sister was already sitting there and my sister had dropped me off. So I knew something was up here because the, the hospital had obviously phoned my sister to come. And I, when I went into the room, there was a couple of nurses there and this consultant. And I thought, I'm going to get some news here. I can just tell, I can just feel the vibe. And um, I sat me down. He, he said, uh, you've got you've got some, um, some issues with your bowel and um, quite near you back passage about eight centimeters away from your back passage there's an area that i'm concerned about so i said um you're concerned about is it cancer and he went he just he just paused and looked at me and he said i believe it is and from then on i thought that was a death sentence and uh, it's like the worst news it was just like hammer blow i thought i was finished to be honest but um but it turned out it, it turned out that I'd um, we, we caught it in time, so it was quite early stages. It was it was contained within the bowel, um, so 
again, cut a long story short, he said, he said we, you need surgery. You have to have this removed. Um, you know, the, the, the alternative is, the alternative is it will spread and it will uh, it will limit your life. I think they used the phrase that. So so there was no alternative to surgery. So a couple of weeks later, I uh, went into the Liverpool Royal Hospital. Eddie performed the surgery. How they explained it to me, they said your bowel's a bit like a bicycle in a tube. So if you imagine um, a bicycle in a tube, if you have a pit fixed a puncture on a bike. You've got you've got an inner tube and you've got the valve. Imagine that the valve is the cancer. So what we're going to do is we're going to cut either side of the valve and remove that from your body. And then with the two weapons, we're going to put them together and staple them, and then you will be cancer free. So uh, that's what they did, and then uh, that's what happened. Um, so I was very lucky. Got the got the surgery. They took the cancer away, and it's what they call a safety margin. Did they take? You have to take you know, more. They've told me when I was gone. I'm not out of the woods yet because if you've had a bowel cancer, you can you can you're at a higher risk on the normal population of getting another one. So, but my prognosis, my outlook, I've been given the percentages. There's 85 percent chance that I will just live a normal life from now on, and 15 percent chance that I will develop another cancer. But if I develop another cancer. It will be identified early and it will be treatable as well if I get another cancer in, in that area. So I feel uh, incredibly lucky that um, I had the people around me to make me, first of all, make me go to the GP, um, that the GP you know, done the test, that I had the colonoscopy, that I've had, had the surgery. Although, you know, the surgery, I, I wouldn't dress this up as, as anything else. The surgery... In its, the recovery from the surgery is probably the worst experience in my life so far. I'm nine weeks post-op now, and it's it. How can I explain? I just wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but it's survivable. So, um, and then of course with my surgery, I had an ileostomy, which is you pull a part of the, the bicycle inner tube that I was telling you about. You pull a part of that through your stomach, just next to your belly button there. And then they fix a bag to, to your soul while while the interior is healing. I pass my waist into a bag, and um, although that's a life-saving sort of device, which is a to work out well three pound twelve twelve pence each, um, it, it's an unpleasant unpleasant thing for me. Um, but I understand I understand that you know one in four hundred people in the UK have have a bag like mine. So the chances are there's quite a few ADIs out there with the same who, who, who've, who've experienced similar. So that's my outlook. I'm, yeah, I'm very lucky. I'm, I'm off on long-term sick at the moment. But I will make a full recovery and I'll come back to driving instruction team. Your positivity since speaking to you is is, is a joy. Uh, and I'm delighted to have you on for multiple reasons. I think we can put that in there. But the... I want to ask a little bit because you mentioned about you're on the phone to your, your daughter, I think you said, and, and she's kind of pushed you to do it. And mm. it, it just it shows to me that how we can't leave things, you know, if we're noticing these symptoms, like I said, you've noticed that you've gone to your daughter. You know, there'll be people out there that wouldn't do that, that maybe haven't got maybe. someone closer to turn to. How important is, and not just necessarily because of something might be 
cancer. It could be anything. But yeah, more yeah. importantly, if if someone's noticing symptoms, go and check it out. Is that is that kind of your big message? Hundred percent, absolutely hundred percent. Because my, my mind was that cancer or serious illnesses didn't happen to people like me, because I'm a non-smoker, and I, I, I very occasionally, only on special occasions, would drink alcohol. I mean. My only risk factor is my age is, is over 50. That's a risk factor. And also, I do like a bit of food, so I mean, technically I'm in the obese section. So that's a risk factor. But other than that, I always thought, well, I didn't always think. But I always, I just genuinely thought that I was low risk. So if I had a change in my bowel habits or blood in my poo, there would be another explanation. It wouldn't be cancer. It'd be, it'd be another not so serious disease or something else would be would be called irritable bowel syndrome or something like that so so that's that's what happened to me and i i i fell into that trap of thinking it happens to other people and then when you look it's, it's funny once you've had a cancer diagnosis i say it's funny it's not funny at all it, it's interesting once you've had a ca cancer diagnosis how much prevalent cancer is in the community you pick it up in, 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 norm, in, in every nearly every news item that that comes on the TV. Uh, every, you know, people. As soon as you mention to anyone you got cancer, every, nearly every family's been been touched by. It. In fact, I looked at some statistics and that popped up on my um, feed only a couple couple of days ago. Um, um, Fifty percent of Brits would get a cancer diagnosis in their lifetime. Now there's cancer and cancer. There's, there's cancer that's you know really serious, and there's cancer that's less serious. So, but, but it just goes to show, one in two people will get a cancer diagnosis. Uh, as far as men are concerned, uh, one in fifteen men will get bowel cancer in their lifetime. One in eighteen women. So it's really prevalent. It, it's about and I th one of the things I think, I think puts ADIs at risk, in particular PDIs, is because we don't work in an environment where we have like lots of colleagues. Like like if you worked in a factory or an office, you'd be chatting to people on the next desk. You'd be bouncing ideas off. You know, if, if I'd worked in an office, someone had said to me, are you going to the toilet again? You should get that checked out. But because I'm a driving instructor and I just nip home in between the lessons, it never occurred to me that it, it could be something so I, I think we are vulnerable because, in a way, we, we work in an isolated industry. I think that's a really good point, and it's it's why I do these sort of episodes sometimes because this podcast in itself is its own little community. You know, people listen to it between lessons. This is where they get the information from, and you know, hopefully, this resonates with some people in a good way. And also with driving instructors, there, there are risk factors that are not specific to us, but are key to us you know you mentioned obesity there technically i'm obese you know i think a lot of people when they hear the word obese they picture a certain yes. physical shape but that's not obese you know that's not what obese is it's i'm like i said i'm obese so picture me and, and i'm technically obese but also sitting down for the long period you know go on to the nhs website and you can check this out that it says on there that people spend long periods sitting down that contributes or has a correlation not necessarily causation but correlation yeah. to or a higher risk i should say of you know getting some form of cancer and the advice that they give on that website is the advice i bang out on this podcast all the time have a break between lessons 
You know, if you're doing a two-hour lesson, I suppose, in particular, add 10 minutes in between on top of what you've got already so you can get out and stretch your legs for 10 minutes. And, you know, do you think that we're bad as that? as Were you bad for that before as an instructor? I'm not saying this was the reason, obviously, but were you bad for that, getting out of the car and taking a break or...? No, I was bad for um, not being physically active enough. Mm. So I, I'd walk the dog, um, and I, I did have a, a um, you know phase of one of those Fitbits where you measure your steps. Yeah, and I, you know I have a target, and that fell by the I had a target of ten thousand steps, and I was doing that, and that fell by the wayside. Everything fell by the wayside. I think you, you've got to like get some sort of physical activity into your normal day. If it's walking, jogging, maybe playing sport. You mentioned obesity, and um, you know we talked about obesity earlier. You know, some sportsmen, like rugby players, are technically obese, mm. but the fit is anything. Yeah, and I think you know, as you know, um, you know, how do you say this? But like, we're all getting bigger. We seem to all be getting bigger as a as a society. We're getting bigger. So when you we see an obese person now. The, the more closer to what we would expect to be normal. See, I look, I look at myself, and I, I know I'm no oil painting, and I know I'm no athlete, but I don't see an obese person there. I just see someone who's a bit overweight. But technically, when I put the numbers into the NHS website, it comes up on, on obese, and that has a that has an effect on your on your health. On, on you know, maybe it was maybe it was that um, you know a factor in in in, in me because that. Apart from the age, which obviously you can't do nothing about your age, that was the only risk factor that I had, and that, that was why I was convinced. In fact, I even told my GP I, I didn't have cancer. I said, I said, I've got cancer. But if I had cancer, I'd be like losing weight and and feeling feeling ill. And he was like, so you know, when someone you know nodding, but they're not agreeing with you. Yeah. You never know, you know, something. And it wasn't it wasn't until later on that I thought I remember that body language signal when I was telling him I didn't have cancer. And he was sort of, sort of, you never, but I suppose GPs, if, if the numbers are so prevalent, like I said, like like 50% of all Brits will get a cancer diagnosis, then we'll see it all the time. Yeah. Because I, um, I hardly ever seen it because I blanked it out as, as something that happened to other people. Yeah, it's true. It's, do you know what we do this with so much? I've been talking about, uh, you know, road safety a lot on this series. And you think about people on the roads, you know, as driving instructors, we see this all the time. You know, it won't happen to me. You know, you have that yeah. discussion with your learners. It won't happen to me. That's, but, you know. But I know, speaking to you before we recorded this, one of the big things that you didn't want to do today was scare people. Oh, 100%. Yeah, please. Please, yeah. I mean, we, we know, but I've learned so much in the nine weeks that since my, uh, in, in the three months since my diagnosis. But we, we know that men in particular are less likely to to go to the doctors for whatever reason. Don't know what that is. I don't understand. I don't understand it. But I'm guilty of it myself. I don't understand it, but I'm guilty of it, or I was guilty of it. The, all the experience that I had, although, although it was it was it was difficult and unpleasant, it was necessary, and it it it, it wasn't it it it, it was nothing. I haven't even been in any pain really. I haven't, I haven't been any in any pain. When when you when you um, go on what they call the, the cancer pathway, the, the care that you get is it, just it's just out of this world. It's just top notch. Once I mean the, the moment from the moment I got 
the diagnosis, you know. And you know how hard it is to access the NHS sometimes. Even getting a GP appointment, it can be a challenge. And that can be a barrier, you know, because, you know, you've got to get on the phone. or you, but in, in mine, you, you, can, you, can, uh, you can request it in, you know, an appointment by email now, which, which is better because you don't have to sit on the phone at 8 o'clock every morning. But that can be a barrier, just trying to get, get appointments. Um, well, what I would say is, uh, to anyone listening to this, is that is is that the, the treatments, the treatment, if it's anything like mine, it's unpleasant, but it's bearable and it's it, it's potentially life saving. I think the other thing that like you were mentioning before about sending in a stool sample, basically, and <laughs> I'm trying to phrase this tactfully. When I think of that, I used to, I always had the image that they'd send you a carrier bag. And yeah. you had to fill the carrier bag and send it in. Um, yeah, but the way you um, make that sound doesn't sound anything no, like that at all. No, it, it, it's not. It, it's absolutely not. I mean, you know, listen, poo is not the nicest subject, but it's an important subject. It, it, it's a, the amount of specimen they need to test. It, 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 it's. I can't tell you how small it is. It's. It's like. It's smaller than a pea, like a garden pea. It's smaller, much smaller than that. It's it's just a scraping. It's a tiny scraping, uh, so it, and it, it it shouldn't be embarrassing. It it shouldn't be taboo. I mean, what you know? There's seven billion people in the world, and all of them go for a poo. Let's face it. it it's, it's the most normal thing in the world. I'm just thinking about all the other times I've spoken shit on this podcast, and all of them are as relevant as today. <laughs> um, <laughs> But there you go. And but even like, I just want to touch back on the. Um, t- tell me if I get this correct. The the colonoscopy is that the right yeah. term? Yeah, that's the camera. Up, that's the camera up your bum. Yeah, I I've never had that. When I've heard it mentioned, it sends shivers down my spine. I'm like, bloody hell, yeah. that sounds unpleasant. You know that the, the way oh, you describe that. I was anxious as hell, but I can tell you, it, it, it it's it's not it's certainly not painful. Um, you, you, you feel you, you feel a bit of pressure in your back passage, and then in your bowel, there's no nerve endings in your bowel, which is another thing I've learned. So once it's in your back passage, you don't feel anything, and absolutely nothing, no pain, no sensation. Well, I didn't. My, my experience, it wasn't an unpleasant experience. It was, it was, and of course that might have been down to the sedation. The sedation is great because it, it makes you feel a bit woozy. Like I was saying before, like you've you've had a couple of pints. Not that I drink a couple of pints anymore, but that's that's what it what it feels like. So I I, I wouldn't say if, if if anyone needs a colonoscopy, it's it just it's just a brilliant tool for identifying cancer and if it, and, and identifying cancer early. And then the, the great thing is is when they go in there with the camera, if they see something like they seen on mine, they take a biopsy. So you can take a biopsy. I have some polyps as well. They, they, they removed them while I was there. Polyps are little sort of anomalies that live in your body. I don't understand that. But they can become cancerous if, if left unchecked. They need to be checked. So they removed a lot of polyps and they took a biopsy of my cancer. And then the next day, they, they had a diagnosis for me. So yeah. it's, it, 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 honestly, it, it, it's, it's, it's a couple of hours out of your day. Um, you feel a bit grog, you feel a bit groggy, and feel a bit. Up. But it, it, it wasn't painful in any way. So if you've got to go for a colonoscopy, trust me, you know, 
I can tell you from my experience, it, it, it's nothing to be afraid of. And I was anxious as hell because I didn't fancy. I just imagine, you know, you imagine, I mean, you think the camera's going to be like, you know, a, a big fat hose pipe or something. It's it's a little thin sort of cable. It's like 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 a bicycle cable, honestly. It's, it's a it, it, it's nothing. So um, if you need a colonoscopy, please go and get one. I completely understand if you don't want to talk about this, but I'm going to ask anyway. Because <laughs> um, uh, I spoke to you the other day, and you were saying how you don't want to, you don't feel like a hero. You don't want to give that impression of that you're a hero in this situation. I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what you mean there, because it surprised me when you said that. Well, I'm not a hero. Uh, I know you heard a lot of. Not a lot of people. You read in the media, you know, you know, people will say, "Oh, he's beat cancer," or "He's fighting cancer." I don't see myself in a fight. I don't see myself beating cancer. All I did was was lucky enough to like recognise the symptoms and present them to the NHS. It was the NHS that if I, if I have beat cancer, and I'm not counting, I'm not counting all my chickens just yet. If I have beat cancer, it, it's not me who's beaten cancer. It's the NHS who's beaten it on my behalf. I don't feel, you know, do, do cancer patients might call each, each other warriors. I don't feel like a warrior in, in that sense. I do in as much as reco- recovering from the surgery because recovering from the surgery is, is, is difficult. You need to, you know, I just pray for the people who don't have the support network. I have, I have a wonderful family. I have an incredible family. Um, and, not everyone is as lucky as me in, in that way. So that's twice I've been lucky in, in this respect. Um, so, so there's that. I mean, I'm thinking of all the times I've been lucky. I mean, an ileostomy operation 100 years ago, most people were dying during that, that procedure. You know, if you couldn't get cancer, this this is a good... If, you, if you've got to get a horrible, critical, horrible disease, this is a good time in history to get it. Because, you know, survival rates in in my lifetime have doubled. You know, treatments, medications for, for cancer are uh, improving all the time. If I'd have been born 100 years ago, my outlook would be in a lot worse. So I, 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 feel, I feel incredible. I don't feel in- courageous or brave in any stretch, by any stretch of the imagination. I feel incredibly lucky. And that's the, that, and to be honest, that's the, the that's the truth. I was lucky to 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 get um, to be diagnosed. I was lucky to be born in this era. I was lucky to have the Royal Liverpool Hospital on my doorstep. I was lucky to have my family around me. I've been incredibly lucky. And and what betide me to disagree with you, but I am going to disagree with you slightly because I think what you're doing now is 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 pretty special. You know, look at yourself and and, and Woody, who I mentioned before, was on a couple of scenes ago that are. Uh, coming onto this podcast specifically to talk to ADIs and say, look, this could be an issue. Go and get it sorted. Go and get it checked out. And I, I would like to think that hopefully, even if it's just one person, someone listening will either think, oh, I have got this symptom. I best go get it checked out. Or it'll stick in their brain. And then a few years down the line, if something develops, they'll go, mm-hmm. hold on. What were Jimmy said? I best go mm-hmm. get this. And I think that's pretty special. Yeah, or 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 you might there might be an ADI who who who's not suffering those symptoms, but maybe their wife or their husband is suffering those symptoms. And they, yeah. I've just heard Jenny speak about that. Maybe you know 
put that up the priority list because going to the GP when you when you're not feeling that ill is low on your priorities. There's always a hundred things in front of that, isn't there? So, so there, there might be people out there who have who have, who have who are suffering those symptoms and have now who, who who now might take some action, or they might know someone who's suffering those symptoms. Yeah, but. You're also talking quite public about it on social media as well and, and kind of throwing stuff out there, including Brave the Shave. Tell us about Brave the Shave and what you're doing with Brave the Shave. Oh, thanks for asking me about this. Uh, I, I feel, um, so, you know, with cancer treatment, that's that some cancer treatments, um, the cancer patients lose the hair. That's part of the chemotherapy in particular. Uh, I'm, not in that, I'm not in that group. I'm not going to lose my hair. But um, Jordan... During my journey, my cancer journey, if 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 you like, I was supported on a couple of occasions, really importantly, by the Macmillan nurses and the Macmillan charity, cancer charity, and they were absolutely brilliant with me in the t- in the time between diagnosis because you get your diagnosis, but you don't know whether it's spread. So you've got a period of time where you know you've got cancer, but you don't know how bad, and you know if it's spread. You know, you've got a life limit, and you, you, chances are you've got a life limit in disease. Chances are, not definitely. Chances are. So that period of time is really stressful, and so demand phone lines. I had to use them, and I was in a in a mess, like couldn't couldn't think straight. And it helped me get on track. Also, the other a Macmillan nurse in the in, well, we do in our, our GPs, and and she helped me an awful lot. Brought me in for a meeting. Uh, explained a lot of my emotions and why I was why I was so low at the time, um, and also financially, they helped me financially because when you get a, a diagnosis and and you can't work, I mean I couldn't work because of my mental state straight away. As soon as I got my diagnosis, I couldn't work. So as as a um, as an ADI, um, my income had, had stopped completely. So you're in a nightmare scenario because your income stopped. You claiming you might be claiming for benefits or, or claiming on insurance, and there's a time lapse in between there. And the added stress of the financial burden on you makes you even sicker. So um, straight away, I went into the uh, Macmillan nurses at my GP, and brilliant, sorted all the forms. I'll get you all your prescriptions for free, so you're exempt from prescriptions once you've got a cancer diagnosis. And they also give give me three hundred and fifty pounds straight away, straight into my bank, just. Just and, and I know three hundred and fifty pounds is a relatively small amount of money, but at that time that made it really took me. It was really like an act of kindness. Um, so um, brave to shave uh, to, to get back onto the, the subject is as I was saying. Some cancer patients lose their hair. I'm not going to be in that um, category, but Macmillan um, uh, run this this thing where you can shave all your hair off, basically for the fun of it. Okay, just so um, I'm going to shave all my hair off in support of the cancer charity, uh, in, in support of Macmillan, in the hope that all my friends, and I know they will, will, you know, all chip in a quid or two, whatever they can. Now, I know people are asking for charity all the time, and I don't want to, I don't want to impose on anybody. So if, if you can't, don't, and, and don't feel bad about it. Because we're in a cost of living crisis, and I, I don't want anyone to feel bad about this. But if you can throw a quid in, that'd be great. No, I think that I like that you've touched on that at the end as well, because we are in a cost of living crisis and people are struggling. So um, as you just said, and I would back this up, I don't want anyone to put themselves out because I'm going to be raising funds in January for my own personal thing. 
And I'll be talking about that then. If you cannot afford to donate, do not feel obliged to donate. And I think that's important to say. But what I will also say is uh, all the, I'll put the links for your stuff where people can donate in the show notes for this episode. So anyone yeah. wants to donate um, and laugh at you shaving your hair off on Christmas Eve, they, they can do. What I'll also say is that anyone that signs up to the Instructor Podcast Premium in December, whether that's for one month, a year, or whichever tier you sign up for, I'll donate a five of that to uh your your charity um you're a wonderful man it's two people already signed up this month so that's a tenner for you um that's brilliant brilliant. i've just hoped that the next family who are touched by cancer will go in there and there'll be enough fun you know we we can support other people because i i can't i can't stress enough uh how much the financial burden affects your 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 physical health as well. You're absolutely out of your mind once you get a diagnosis like that when you can't work, especially if you're self-employed. Now, lucky for me, I was I was insured, um, and I know insurance. Come, can I talk about insurance? Yeah, go for it. I know that's something you want us to get across today. Go for it. Yeah, sure. Um, so, I know insur- insurance companies sometimes get you know get a bad sort of um, get a bad press, don't they? Because the the the, the idea is uh, or. The, the, com- the common uh, perception is that insurance companies will try and not pay you out and they'll look for, you know, uh, loopholes and not pay out. I've got to tell you, with my experience, two insurance companies I had, I, I had a critical illness cover which sort of tracked me mortgage. And I had a, um, a, an income insurance policy. Basically, I bought that case, you know, broke a leg and couldn't work for, for a few weeks or something. Both of those insurance companies have paid me out. And the you know, the critical, uh, I can name the company if you don't mind, because they've been absolutely yeah. excellent. AIG, AIG were absolutely excellent. When I got the cancer diagnosis, I had one phone call, a form to fill in, and then every week they'd email me, uh, say, uh, we've got your form, we, we're, we're trying to contact your doctor, we need the um, medical evidence. Once we've got the medical evidence, we will assess your claim and and, and let you know. And they did that all the time. And it's very really hard for them to contact the consultants because the consultants are really busy doing other things. So they would email me all the time saying, I want you to know we're on this. You don't have to worry. You don't have to contact us. We're on it. And we're not going to let it settle until we've got the medical evidence. Please don't don't worry. They were really reassuring with that. And then, you know, as soon as they got the medical evidence, within a couple of days of getting the medical evidence, me and said, we've agreed your claim. We're going to pay. Um, we're, we're going to pay you out. And... As I say, my insurance policy like, tracked me mortgage, so I could pay me mortgage off. I'd always wished to be mortgage free, but I never wished to be like this. Yeah. And if I could have me health back, I'd, I'd much rather have me health back. But um, the message it gets across, it get get across is right. I'm 57 years old. Buying that insurance policy at the time is the best financial decision I ever made in my life, because. And immediately, once you know you've got the security of you know you and your family, you've got the security of the roof above your head. You you you, f- you feel physically physically healthier. The other insurance company pays me out, you know, quite a small amount actually, but but it's monthly, it's a regular income, because the benefits that you, that you're entitled to, um, it'd be I'd find really difficult living on living on them, you know, you. you how anyone lives on the benefits alone, I, I don't know. So message I would say is um, if you haven't got loads of money saved up for something like this, you know, consider buying an insurance policy to cover 
your mortgage, your rent, and also loss of income, especially if you're like the main breadwinner in the house. Because if you do get an illness or a serious illness like I got, it it it's gonna compound the, the your problems. And I, I for me, having the financial weight off my shoulders was was such a relief and, and I'm I'm sure they did me recovery is is aiding my recovery. I know you mentioned earlier on about that initial the, the stress you felt about it financially that you're going to have to stop work and all that kind of stuff. So couldn't you imagine how that felt? And I suppose it's the sort of thing, those insurance policies that you never actually want to use, but they're, they're good there for when something yeah. like this does happen. Yeah. Yeah. You, you never want to use, you resent the, the you know, you know, the, um, the payments come out each month. A bit. I remember thinking that's just money down the drain. You know? But I didn't cancel it because, you know, the week after canceling, something has happened. Yeah. It just must be my luck. Do you know what I mean? So I've paid them religiously uh, over the years. And I'm just so glad it did. And, you know, you know, particularly as an ADI, because you, you, you're like usually self-employed, aren't you? Nearly all of us are self-employed. We haven't got the benefit of a big employer, sick pay, you know, we haven't got we haven't got that safety net. So definitely, can if you haven't got a lot of savings or or or, or a plan or a strategy, if if something like this happens, I would say definitely look at that because I promise you, it's the best financial decision I've ever made. Uh, a word you've used a lot today is support. You've talked about the support you've had, and you know, like with your family, with the the doctors, with the insurance, and it just strikes me that. A lot of that you're in charge of because as you mentioned it's quite a lonely profession at times you know we don't have that day-to-day banter with people but yeah so we can't always surround ourselves with people at work we can't always surround ourselves with with family not everyone has that that family Mm -hmm. but you look at where you've put that support in by going to the doctors Uh, and i can't remember if you told me on this episode whether you told me previously but i know you were saying you were getting calls from people almost every day from hospital doctors that kind of yeah. stuff and you were getting their mobile numbers and told you could ring them at any time so oh, it's brilliant yeah once you're on that if you're on the cancer pathway or my my experience with the once you're on that cancer pathway the support is is just unbelievably good my experience was unbelievably good so i was getting like nurses mobile numbers that i could call them at any time there was always someone i could call but you know it'd be unusual for for two days to go by without me getting a call from the hospital over something. And it might be something just to check something or just check how it was, reassurance call, um, all all sorts. I, 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 and then I mean, when I went in for the operation itself, I, I just the staff at the Liverpool Royal Hospital, they are out of this world. I'm going to get emotional now. Thank you, time. I think with that support, it's obviously come from others and we can't always control what support we can get, but we can instigate. So you've instigated that support by going initially and making an appointment at your GP. You know, that started the ball rolling to get the support from there. You've got the financial support by, you know, taking your insurance policies. There's other things we could do as insurers as well. So whether that's getting in part of the community, whether that's a national association or local association, whether it's just a group of instructors, whether it's getting part of, of the podcast community, whatever it is. So how important is it that 
do you think that it was that you started that ball rolling to get that support, but also that anyone over instructors can do that now. We don't have to wait until something's wrong. We can get involved in those type of communities and, and, and areas now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know. I think you give me more credit than I actually deserve. I, I, a lot of a lot of things for me were, you know, were in place anyway. Um, and I, I hadn't really sort of, I don't, I don't feel like I, I sort of design. I, I just, I just feel like, you know, my family's supposed to, I'm very lucky God, my wife is just out of this world. Two grown up daughters out of this world, a young son, 15 year old boy out of this world. Uh, I could go on and on. Uh, I, I just, I just, you know, me GP, I mean, and I didn't mention this before. Right, but you know that I was telling you about you know the poo sample that you put on the little stick on the mm -hmm. the first one went missing. Okay, that's the only thing that's gone wrong. Okay, the first one went missing, so the GP was chased that up to me, and I wasn't going. I was, oh, it's gone missing. Don't worry, don't worry about it. It's, it's nothing. If he hadn't chased that up and made me come in and, and and get another one, I might be sitting here with cancer and not realise I've got cancer, and it might be all over my body by now. So. I, you, you you seem to think that like I've engineered some you know, uh, you know at least some of my outcome. I don't really feel that way at all. I just I feel. I mean, apart from I mean, apart from buying the insurance policies, they're, they're the only things that I actually actively done, just in case the worst happens. Everything else was sort of. I, I feel incredibly lucky about. I get that. I do get that. But I think you also start the ball rolling in some ways. Like you said, even just by speaking to your daughter that first time, how many people don't do that? How long did it take yeah. you to do that? And I think yeah. starting the ball rolling in that sense. You mentioned before about poo, you know, being a bit, you know, a bit of a taboo subject. I, I, I think maybe men in particular might have difficulty going to a health professional and talking about poo and talking about. I bet this is the first time this has been mentioned on the. Um, podcast and you know the word anus i bet the word anus has never been mentioned before people find it difficult to, to go in there go, go into the doctor and say i've got a cut on my anus do you know that, that and it, it, it i I, th I think some people some people have difficulty with that and, and to be honest i used to 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 a degree but since since i've had bowel cancer and in more specifically cancer of the rectum okay um because you're speaking to, to health professionals all the time about these things you become desensitized to that so, so i talk about poo as if it's nothing i talk about me back i usually use the word back passage but anus or anything like on me bowel with rectum it, you know it you, you become less uh, sen sensitive to that though that sort of language when you in amongst it, you know what I mean? Because the doctors and the nurses are talking about it, like we're talking about, you know, the, the break in the clutch, the, just the break in the clutch to them. Well, I think you're right. I think that is the first time it's mentioned. And when I do the Instructor <laughs> Podcast Awards at the end of the year, you will win the award for first mention of the word anus. You haven't spoken as much crap as Chris Benstead, so he still takes <laughs> No that. way. Oh, I love Chris. Got to tell, can I just say, Chris, Chris has been a, a good friend to me. Although I've never met Chris, he's been a good friend to me. He's been like, he helped me with, uh, you know, with me driving school when I was running some ideas about, about changing the way of, and he helped me with that. And he, he, uh, I had to, I don't know if I should tell you this. I had to then. Um, she let you into a secret. 
what me and the uh, the two thousand people listening. Yeah, go for it. So I'm fifty seven year old driving instructor. I've had a driving license since I was about nineteen. Never had any problems. Okay, and you might even believe you might not even believe the story, but I promise you, it's true. And in the in in the time between my diagnosis and, and me and me operation, got quite low. We were in a bit of a depressed state, and um, I didn't leave the house very much at all. So, and then what happened is I noticed there was a band that I follow um, from your neck of the woods uh, playing in Ripon. They're playing like this community centre in Ripon. So I said to Elaine, "Should we nip over there? It's only an hour and a half drive. We could stay over, okay, in a bed and breakfast or hotel or something." And we could watch this band. And then the next day we could drive back. That sounds all very well. By this time, we, we cancelled it. I'd, I'd sort of I'd progressed a little. And I was getting some more, let's say, um, problematic symptoms. Okay. Oh, you're not going to leave this day out. So on the way back from, from, from Ripon, I was driving on the motorway. And I had a bit of a... a, a um, a back passage accident, and I was aware. I was aware. I was driving. Fuck. What to do? It was in September, so it was a bit of a heat. Can you imagine the heat? The heat. We had that heat. It was hot. It's not my air condition. Doesn't work in my car. My poor wife. So I'm driving, and I'm thinking. I just. I said, I can't stop in a service station because I don't know what this state of my pants are like. So I'm just gonna get home as quickly as I can. So what do I do? Down a motorway and get three points at hundred pound fine. How bad's that? I'll be honest, I don't know how to respond to that. Um, I'm professionally ashamed of myself, but I, I, I couldn't really do anything else. Um, so I, I took some legal, I took some legal advice, you know, and he said, you know. You have got special measures, and you know if you got if you want to go in front of the magistrate, they, they may look favourably on you and and just, and write it off and just say don't do it again, or they might not look favourably and give you a, a worse penalty, more than three points and more than it could be up to a thousand pound fine. So I thought, what do I do? And I thought, well, I'm I'm too ill to to go and defend my case at the magistrates anyway. So I wrote to the police and told them ex- to the um, told them the the circumstances. And they said, uh, they wrote back a nice letter saying, you know, we're really sorry about your health condition and stuff like that, but we are going to, you know, we are going to um, press the charges or whatever, whatever it is. So I had to take the three points and £100 fine. So I had to let the DVSA know. So if they're listening, could you look that favourably on me, please? Because I want to stay on the register. <laughs> Can't stay on the register. I don't know what I'll do because the only thing I've ever been any good at in life is, is teaching people to drive, so. I'll, uh, I'll have a word with Love Day for you. I'll see, see yeah. what I can do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm professionally ashamed of myself, to be honest. But at the same time, if it happens again, I'd do the same. You know what? It's it's one of those things where it's not just, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, please, by all means, but it's not just the incident that's occurred. Think about what's going on in your brain at that time. Oh. You know, you've just you're told me it. that you've been at home. Yeah, you're completely on it, Terry. You've been at home all that time, almost. Yeah. Excuse the word, but wallowing a little bit, and then you yeah, take yeah, yourself no. out of that one time. Because wallowing is a good word, and you know, with the benefit of hindsight, I probably shouldn't have drove a car. I shouldn't have drove a car on for ninety minutes there and ninety minutes back. I probably shouldn't, but 
let me solve that, let me solve that. Well, let me solve that. It's in a difficult, in a difficult situation. Don't know. I just. I think it shows you. What can I say? I think what that's can I say? Life happens. Life. I've never. I, I can't. I can't stop thinking. It, it's bothered me a lot. It's bothered. It's bothered me a lot. I can't stop thinking about it. Oh. I mean, for me, it's it's one of those situations where I'm not going to sit here and say, yes, I can condone driving whatever speed you did down the motorway, because of course I'm not. I'm, but on the flip side of that, it's completely understandable. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing, you know, you think about when we talk to students on lessons sometimes, and, and the example I'll use, someone goes flying past them and the student will start, you know, kicking off or complaining and I'll... I'll say, where are they going? And they'll say, I don't know. I'll say, what if they've just found out their partner's been rushed to hospital? Yeah. And they'll think Do about you know it. You're onto it there. You know, you know, we, I mean, it's even on the standards checks, something like, um, not, uh, words, I can't remember the exact words, but words to the effect of you don't, you don't judge other drivers or other road users. You, I will never look at another speeding driver. And I, I, I will be completely neutral from now until I know the, the full story. I love that. So in a way, there's a learning experience for me. I love that. It's not condoning it. It's understanding it. And I think there's a massive difference. And it's like you just said, being non-judgmental. You're not holding judgment on them. Um, I'm trying to find the standards check mark and sheet to see what it is. What is it? It's one of the 17, 17 things. What is it? Oh, yeah. Right. Did the trainer maintain an appropriate non-discriminatory manner throughout the session? That's it. That's it. A non-discriminatory. Sorry, I, 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 it would have done me. I didn't until, until I got that. I love that you got the competence into hand. Um, but, <laughs> if you look at my desk, if I turned around my desk, you've got receipts, m- money, not lots, uh, <laughs> kitchen roll, a, a bike in a tube, um, some tablets, a calculator, all manner um, of of um, health supplies. So I can tell you, having the uh, having get a standard check sheet is not unusual. There could be anything on this desk. Well, my desk contains a notepad and pen and the complete fiction of H.P. Lovecraft. So there you go. Tell me about more about that. <laughs> let's let's leave HP Lovecraft okay. for another day. We are indeed. Because um, I, I want to come back just a little bit to your driving school. You was as a driving instructor. Um and I just want to ask you a little bit how that was. Uh because like you said you had to stop working. So how did you manage that with your students? But something you alluded to before, you know, I'd start, I'd changed the way I'd, uh, I, I'd been running my driving school and running my driving lessons. So I didn't have a lot of pupils on my books at the time because they were all on, on my rapid development course. So I only had, I think, five pupils. So it wasn't a big class to sort out. My problem was all five of those people had all paid a lot of money for a rapid development course. So I had to, I had to um, give them the option of having a, a pro rata refund. So that was a, all the money back minus the training that they had, and uh, that was difficult because all of them took the refund. And one person said, "And I'll tell you what, I'll just hang on 
for as long as it takes. And when you're better, I want you to be my driver. So what a lovely thing to say to someone. Yeah. You know, you, you can't get better than that, can you? And and that's no disrespect to the four who had to go because all four who had to go were, you know, had to have a driving license for one reason or another. You can't expect, or I don't expect, and no, should anyone expect anyone's put someone's life on hold because I, I got ill. So I had to, I, so because they'd all paid, I like, um, they paid for their course up front, which was uh, 1700 quid each. So I refunded all that money, which was a difficult thing to do because I'd, I'd spent a lot of time trying to promote me, me rapid development course and selling me course. And there was a lot of people, I, mean, I, I, I don't offer the course to everyone. So, you know, in a way, me market's quite small. So I put a lot of work into that prior to taking them on, you know, in, you know marketing that course and and they were lovely people as well and they were great pupils and just you know the chemistry in the car between us and, and the way I was teaching to drive I'd sort of been a driving instructor for a long time over 20 years now and felt like I'd put a spring in my step because the change the way I'd worked and I was enjoying the job again so so two things was was bad there I had to give refunds when I was basically on my ass. And um, and, and I, I had to find instructors for for these these four lovely people who were all taking tests in the next couple of months. Now, got a couple of weeks even. Well, I may get you back on at another time to discuss your rapid development course. Cause I know we actually I dropped you a message when you first started doing it, saying you want to come and talk about it. And obviously, we never got around to it, but uh, that fascinates me. But we'll maybe leave that for another episode because I, I do just want to ask where you're at now you know is there a, a plan to get back into it is there any kind of date penciled in or is it just are you sitting back and seeing what occurs no i'm concentrating fully on my health i'm not doing anything else but concentrating on my health right now um i have good days and bad days uh, i'm having a good day today um the bad days are a pretty bad so the idea of getting back to where right now is is something that's not even on the horizon for me at the moment um i've got i've got some problems i've, I've, I've got some i've got some physical problems uh with having a, having a stoma having a bag i'm only nine weeks post-op so that's supposed to be uh i suppose that's to be expected uh but i've got some um psychological problems with um having a stoma and and a bag um, and the idea of being in close proximity of another person in a car at the moment with, you know, you know, call it as it is, it's a bag of poos, sell it to your, to your belly. The, that idea just fills me with dread at the moment. So I, I, I can, I can go out, I can go out, I can converse with people, but I can't be in close proximity to people for too long because my head won't allow me to, I, I can't even explain it myself. There's something going on in my head about that. If, 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 if uh, there must be other ADIs out there who, who are ostomates, um, ostomate like collective term for people who have a stoma and, and, and a bag. Um, you know, I think it's about 40,000 40, ADIs, something like that. Yeah. And, you know, there, there must be ADIs out there. Who, who have, they might have better experiences than, than me, or, or they might have a similar experience when they were first, you know, going through 
so for me, uh, I can't get back to work. Just I do want to get back to work. Um, want to get back to me rapid development driving course. Um, I, I can't say when. I say I, I was saying I have some problems with me bag, and I am going to get that reversed. I am a candidate for reversal. So long as I get, I've got to have some tests. If they go well, I can have my bag reversed. But I've got to wait till March twenty twenty five for that. I want to get back to work before then, obviously. But at the, the, at the moment, I can't be in close proximity to to other people other than my family or people who, who know me who, who know I've got a bag. I couldn't I couldn't be in close proximity to a stranger at the moment because my mind just goes onto my bag and is it going to leak? Is it going to fall off? Is it going to? Does it smell? All all, all those sorts sorts of things. Um, maybe that'll get better with time. I'm seeing a psychologist, so maybe I'll get some help with that. So, so I'll get back to I'll be back to driving instruction one day. Well, one thing you've said repeatedly through this episode is how lucky you are, and how lucky you are to have your family around you, the spot you've had, all that kind of stuff. And and while while I don't doubt that, uh, I think that they are also lucky to have you. And I feel very lucky to have had you on the show today. So thank you for joining me. Is there? Any kind of final message or anything you want to get out to, to drive instructors or do you want to take a moment to remind them about the uh, Brave the Shea thing you're doing? Or? Well, I don't think, I think we've covered everything. I mean, if you can support the Brave the Shea, that's brilliant. I mean, I, I don't put, don't put loads of money in or anything like that, just a pound or two. Um, I don't, I'm not trying to, um, you know, raise thousands and thousands. Just if I raise a couple of hundred quid, I'll be I'll be made up. Or if I can make, raise three hundred and fifty, which is what the standard sort of payment people get who, who immediately get cancer. Which, you know, it's surprising how many um, unexpected uh, costs come straight away. You know, bed in uh, pajamas, even hospital parking, all that sort of thing. You wouldn't be surprised the, the costs spiral when 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 you're ill. Um, so. So that'd be great if you could do that. Um, no, my main message is always from um, is is that um, God bless everyone who's got cancer. Uh, it, if you get symptoms, please get checked out early. Cancer is not necessarily a death sentence. Cancer is often, if caught early enough, a highly treatable and even curable disease. So don't be frightened of it. Stand up to it. Go and see GP. Well, thank you for joining us today. I hope everyone takes heed of that message. And um, I don't know if there's the right phrase, but I'm going to use it. I've really enjoyed this conversation today. I've taken things from it. So, uh, yeah, big thank you for joining me today, Jimmy. I've enjoyed your company, and I always do tell you, you're a gentleman, you're a lovely man. I really appreciate you asking me on. I feel like I've made it. I've actually got on the Teddy Creek show. The, the Michael Parkinson of the ADI world. I feel like Billy Connolly. <laughs> yeah, the Terry Cook show. Oh, that's that's coming twenty twenty four now. The Terry Cook show, not the instructor podcast. The Terry Cook show on. I buy, buy that. I buy that. No, well, thank you for your time today. Oh, you're welcome to. I I hope you uh, I hope you found it inter- at least in, uh, interesting. And I hope I haven't depressed the shit out of you. Well, I'm finishing laughing, so you can't. <laughs> Good laugh. Yeah, up the pool. So a big thank you to Jimmy there for coming and sharing his story. It's, um, I find it quite inspiring. I hope you guys do too. And I hope you guys take away that message of, you know, try to look after yourselves a bit more. I understand how things are at the minute. Trust me, I'm in the same boat that we want to work all the hours that, that you know, 
God can send and and why should we take the time between lessons and blah, 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 blah. But I think that we do need to look after ourselves a bit where we can. Even myself, you've probably heard me talk before about how between lessons I have a longer break. And that's true, I do. But I'm also guilty of staying in the car a lot when I do it. Now, yes, I might joke about doing car park yoga sometimes, but too often I find myself on my phone doing social media or doing admin, that kind of stuff. So I even I need to make sure I'm getting out of the vehicle a bit more in between lessons. So you know, hopefully you've taken something from that and hopefully you found it um, a little bit in lifting as well. But I want to speak just briefly about James's um, Brave the Shave campaign that he's doing for McMillan Charity. You may have heard me say in the show there that that anyone that signs up to Instructor Podcast Premium throughout December will have, you know, £5 of their sign-up fee donated to McMillan. Um, That's not quite right. It's 50% of the sign-up fee. So if you sign up to the £22 tier, you'll get £11 donated. So anyone that signs up in December, anyone that signed up already, or anyone that signs up as a result of this episode will get that donated. That's whether you stay for a month, a year, or 10 years, or, or whatever, you will get this month's fee donated, as I've just mentioned. But I do also just want to touch on the charity thing. You may have heard me talking with Chris Benson on the recent episode, The Green Room, about this. There is an element of charity fatigue out there, and I fully understand it. I really do. Jimmy was really eloquent in saying that he doesn't expect anyone to pay. If you've got a spare pound, that would be lovely, but he's not expecting anyone, anything from anyone. I'm the same. In January, I'm going to be raising money for motor neuron disease. I'm going to be doing 15,000 steps a day for that. It would be lovely if anyone could donate in January, but if you can't, it's completely fine. You need to look after yourself, as we've spoken about on this episode. If you can spare a couple of quid for... Uh, Macmillan or whichever charity you choose to donate to, amazing. If you can't, please don't feel obliged. But you could also raise awareness other ways. So sharing this podcast is a way. You know, we've clearly spoken about cancer, about recovery, about, you know, how to look after yourself, about Macmillan. We've spoken about this on today's episode. So great way to share, raise awareness. Or even just to share the charity pages or the fundraisers of someone else. So, if you see Jimmy talking about it on Facebook, for example, you could share that and encourage others to do the same. So it doesn't always have to be donating. We can do something. And as a last resort, sometimes best wishes or a little message just saying well done on your efforts or something like that goes a long way as well. So just want to say one more time, big thank you for listening today, especially if you listened all the way to the end. I can imagine how these type of episodes can be quite draining potentially to listen to, but big thank you for listening. And remember, let's just keep raising standards. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them.